We are Blender. You are welcome. Welcome to the latest edition of Blender, where we blitz up our own unique mix of information, interviews, and stuff. I'm George Hopkin, a Gen X journo. And my favorite question is, what happens if we do this? And as ever, I'm joined today by my co-host and fellow scribe, Will Rankin. Will, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, George. Hello, and hello, everyone listening. As George said, I'm Will Rankin. And I'm delighted to be here sharing my random thoughts on a range of what we hope are fascinating issues. Today, we've got an exciting lineup of good and evil, with a guest who's created a board game, Evil Corp, that allows you to imagine what it would feel like to be a Bezos or a Musk just for an hour or two. I'm not sure I'd enjoy that. I haven't worked out what the good bits are yet, though. That, dear listener, is perhaps best left to you to decide. Let's let the listeners decide what is good and what is evil, absolutely. Uh, that's right. Uh, we've also got regular sections. I see my fi. That's I see my fi. I see my fi. I see. In case you missed it, for your information, I see my fi. Uh, and the wisdom of Reddit. Uh, we're going to take a look what the hive mind is thinking on Reddit. And we've taken some feedback from our a huge cohort of a dozen plus listeners and decided to make our podcast a little shorter. We hope that you enjoy this. Let us know what you think. So we're joined now by Alfie Denon, artist, activist, and dare I say, anarchist, who's created a board game, Evil Corp, that sits somewhere between Monopoly and Black Mirror. It's dark, dystopian, and a little bit weird, and we love it. If you've ever fancied yourself as a megalomaniac tech billionaire, here's a chance to test out that feeling. Hi, Alfie. Hey, Will. How you doing? Good, thanks. Where are you? I'm in London. I'm in Haggerston. Ah, okay, cool. Uh, I, th- I think the very fact it's a board game is like sticking two fingers up to the digital world, and it's the tech giants that Alfie and the game's co-creators are taking a pop at. Alfie, thanks for joining us today. It's really great to have you here. But first of all, we have to establish your geek cred, we do. Which, t- which takes the form of a couple of questions. So, Alfie, cocktails or coding? Coding. Yeah, why is that? <laughs> uh, well, you know... Cocktails, I guess, are a thing that I seem to remember from a mm. pandemic era. <laughs> coding is forever. Right. Oh, I like that. Nice. Yeah. That's, a, that's a great that's... phrase for the coding unions, isn't it? <laughs> well, you, you've probably got a T-shirt with that on, haven't you? <laughs> I will soon. Yeah. Uh, coffee with Al Gore or a smoothie with Greta Thunberg and bonus points if you know how we should pronounce her surname. Um, <laughs> I would say definitely coffee with Al Gore. I guess that's maybe betraying my age slightly. If Al Gore had, if he just had a slightly, a bit more luck, maybe the last 20 years of American politics may have looked quite different. Who knows? Yeah, uh, I completely agree. It would have been, certainly been interesting, wouldn't it? And, and Greta Thunberg, it shows how arrogant the world is because you actually pronounce her surname Tunberry, which sounds to me like a very sort of home counties kind of surname, but apparently that's how the Swedes pronounce it. Right, so the G is actually a Y. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that sounds like you just picking us up on our pronunciation, Will. <laughs> well, it's the, it's the arrogance, isn't it, of, uh, of, of our privilege. Uh, anyway, yeah. without getting the too deeply into that. Yeah. Anglic privilege. Come on, we invented language, guys. Yeah. <laughs> or at least the one that you all speak today. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I'm, I'm not sure I've got mastery of it yet. I certainly seem to get tongue-tied on these po podcasts. I, I just, I just love the wonderful <laughs> irony that, you know, the lingua franca of the world is English. Where yeah. The <laughs> denomination of it should have been French, right? Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Alfie, Alfie, <laughs> t please t tell us that English is a lingua franca. franca. Is it, why is that, do we think? Is, is there anything to do with coding? <laughs> Uh, I think it's probably because it's a, a really simple language. I mean, it has like it's the it's a language where all of the exceptions are the rule, right? Like, if you want to learn how to speak English, it's pretty simple. But let's be honest, it's because we um, had an incredible naval force which went out and, with not much care or attention, basically took over the world, right? So yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So if if English was a coding language, what would it be? Python, maybe. <laughs> it's too, hmm. too specific. I'd say that it would probably be CSS. Hmm. Uh, okay, right. And and do you, do you prefer working with lang coding languages that are more friendly to in terms of language, or do you work in ones and zeros? I wouldn't want to position myself overly as a coder. I can code, but uh, to the degree that I could make an alarm clock work, maybe. <laughs> um, I, I guess I think of myself more as a pixel pusher to gotcha gotcha right. well, i'm gonna hand back to will i was okay. gonna say so so back to the game i'm i'm a big fan of games i play scrabble i play chess but this sounds far more subversive doesn't it so um my first question has to be where did the idea for this evil court game come from well, it's a bit pedestrian in a way like we were playing my sister my friend alex and his girlfriend were playing a game of D. &D. we were in a campaign and hmm. We were like, it was someone's turn and it was taking a while. We were having a conversation and Evil Corp came up and someone said, well, that would make a really interesting game, wouldn't it? Like, that would be weird. So we went and looked online, like right in that moment. And we found hmm. there was no game. Then we looked a bit deeper and then we found that anyone who had dealt with the kind of notion of evil corporations from a board game perspective or really even from a game perspective had like mixed it all up. So you had like, mad scientists alongside and there was nothing cleanly about this position so we began with that germ of an idea um but it was always as a kind of reflection you, you mentioned black mirror i mean it's kind of a reflection of the insane situation we find ourselves in today where six or seven people are firmly holding the reins of the trajectory of our species through technological innovation i mean it, it can yeah. really be kind of boiled down to that Wow, that craziness. So what's the, what's the point of the game? Am I right in saying it's a ball game with a social conscience? And if I could read back to you one of your own reviews, um, somebody who reviewed your game said, this is a fast-playing and intriguing game that also serves as a cautionary tale regarding mankind's most vicious predator, CEO billionaires. Is that a good review? <laughs> <laughs> it's not tiddlywinks, is it? <laughs> well, that's great because it does in its like sarcastic tone, totally capture what we want, which is, you know, to entertain, to inform and educate. But ultimately it's fun. It's a great game, which, you know, lets you play as one of these six evil billionaires and the, the kind of catchphrases to save the world, no matter mm. the cost. Now, right. of course there is like this deeper, more subversive element, but ultimately I think by, by using the game as the vehicle, you get to have that conversation it's about having the discussion, right? Not forcing the issue. That's yeah, why the yeah. game is absolutely filled with ironic side jokes and, mm. and, and sarcasm. 
my my design partner Alex will hate me for divulging this, but our favorite card in the game is called the Motivational Guru, <laughs> which I don't know if you ever seen Silicon Valley, but there's a completely useless character called you know who is the Motivational Guru. Now mm. in the game, the Motivational Guru sits in your hand. It cannot be discarded, and it can only be stolen. It has no function. And <laughs> the game means like you basically have a limited number of cards in your hand, right? So it's really bad. And um, it's that like level of humor that we've brought mm. to play here. So you can get weighed down by management consultants. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> okay. You, you said something that was fatally terrifying there, that six or seven people are wielding all the power. Do you think corporations are gradually wielding more power than governments? Is that the way things are going? Well, I mean, it depends on your frame of reference for the for the discussion around that, right? I mean, if you take us take ourselves back to the rubber barons of the turn of the century, you know, the Rockefellers, and we look at what was possible then. Of course, we just didn't have globalization, we didn't have scaled infrastructure, mm. and what they were able to achieve was broadly like the railroads were a good way to think about the extent of monopoly in those days. But today. Mm everything is just so much 100% unified. You can't take one piece out of the puzzle. And that's why Amazon, I had an Amazon quiche the other day. Like I didn't <laughs> think I'd ever be in some brave new world where like not only would I be getting, you know, my technology from a book company, but I'd also be eating quiche. Like that, that's, yeah. Yeah. Um, so to answer your question, it does depend on your frame of reference, but I think it's pretty clear to most people who, who spend a bit of time looking at it or are curious about these things that you've got ind literally individuals, right, who are in control of the social fabric of Western culture broadly, mm. but also more broadly than that and certainly extending out. Mark Zuckerberg, for example, like he came back to holding the reins and I think he, he positioned himself as, you know, uh, a, CEO, a wartime CEO mm. and his rationale or at least his publicly stated one was that in order to make the right decisions for the company and, and therefore for people he needed to be helming things I think that that's a pretty supremely arrogant position to take mm -hmm. that, that you are the one who is actually in the right position to make these sorts of decisions I don't know that there is a right answer but it's a pretty good example of how yes six or seven people because of the like massive scale of their overall infrastructural power are making decisions which ultimately shape the destinies of humanity which sounds pretty over the top but it's true we are blender you are welcome do you not think that we all have a love-hate relationship with things like amazon which is as you've pointed out, slowly creeping into every aspect of our lives. And, um, and whilst it's enormous convenience, it's also faintly terrifying that uh, Amazon probably knows where I am right now and what I'm doing, along with Google. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the, you know we're advancing and we're adapting as a species. We're trying to get better. And that happens in fits and starts. It happens iteratively. And this is what we have today because it's the best we could do in the past. Like, where we are today is a result of the best efforts and intentions and maybe mm. some, you know, some, some sly moves in the past, but ultimately we're where we're at because we are humans and, and this is where we're at. The question mm. becomes more like, well, how do you set a framing for a societal debate that allows for, you know, a, a rational point of view on how much power and in what fashion uh, that power should be wielded? 
but that's going to just take time. I mean, our, our democratic process and institutions are in turmoil, as we can all to one degree or another appreciate, right? Like, it's all just going to happen iteratively. And you can kind of sit and be terrified and be <laughs> a goat in the headlights, or you can just accept that there's certain parts of the future um, of our species that are inevitable. Uh, mm. To accept that inevitability with a, a cool, calm head on your shoulders is probably a better route than suddenly believing in Q. Uh. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think I already described you as an artist and an activist. You've certainly had an interesting career. Can you tell us a bit more about the good bits like mo blogging, the stop clocks campaign, and bus stops? Oh, sure. Well, I guess, I mean, I've just been super lucky. Like, I'm, I, I grew up in London, South Africa, and I moved back from South Africa when I was 17. Hmm. This is just when mobile phones were really kind of beginning. So it's like 1995. By yeah. 1998, I had my first startup, which was animated shorts for the Palm Pixel, like the Palm devices, hmm. um, which cool. definitely dates me. But yeah. <laughs> I think that I just got super lucky in being um, interested in technology, the emergence of the internet and how people could connect via that or the World Wide Web, really. Mm. And then because of uh, the things that interest me, I guess I've been lucky to sort of pursue projects across a broad set of interests that to one degree or another sort of intersect. So yeah, yeah. Mob blogging or mobile blogging, um, you know, I, I was really, really <clears throat> fascinated with um, mobile technology at the time and with my co-founder Matt Brown we created Moblog mm. which was um, after a couple of years the largest mobile blogging platform in Europe at least mm. and that led me to have a lot of touch with companies like Greenpeace who were using the platform which led me to kind of look at how technology can intersect with the aims of whether activist or other causes. So I was kind of positioned in that frame when 7-7 happened. Mm. Um, 7-7 kind of led me to create something called We're Not Afraid, which mm. was, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm sure you remember where and with who you were with on the morning of 7-7. And so this is the bombings in London. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, yep. Just, um, just for our listeners' clarity. And yeah, a lot of us do remember what we were doing at that time. And, and what sure were you doing at that time? Bone. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Gosh. And th this, this phrase, we're not afraid, it's very powerful. And regardless, I just thought, well, what a great way to just bring all of my friends together in something. Because running Moblog, like it's a mobile picture, you know, posting hmm. service. So it started there and people would just post pictures of themselves holding up signs saying, we're not afraid. It got picked up first by Bild in Germany or Bild mm. and the BBC, mm. then, then everyone else. And then, so for about a year and a half after that, um, for better or ill, I was the sort of TV poster child for um, what do citizens think about terrorism? Mm, wow! Okay. Yeah, it was it was so, a weird time in my life. That's a heavy that's a heavy crown to wear, isn't it? <laughs> well, it was really um, good in the sense that we did have like a really clear manifesto for what we thought "we are not afraid" means. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's double edged. Like to pull the the sting of the terror that comes from being at the center of terrorist attacks, but by being able to remove yourself emotionally from it, it means that 
much like Naomi Klein's disaster capitalism, those powers that be that like overlook your civil liberties aren't able to just run over them because you're actually aware enough to say, well, wait a second, actually, no, I would not like to now have an identity card. So mm. the manifesto framing was really useful. It got, um, you know, I was able to talk about that to a large audience, which yeah, uh, in, on reflection, looking back is a, is a good thing. Mm. But as with all good, serious, successful things, it got parodied, didn't it? Can you tell us about the parody site? <laughs> we're shitting, we're shitting ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was fantastic. I, I remember waking up after like two or three hours sleep because mm. that was the kind of pace that the project required. Mm. And um, someone had just created a site called which I wasn't, we're fucking shitting ourselves. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry for the swear. That's what it That's is. That's all right. That's okay. And, so, and, but, but, but just to tear the arse out of this, so there is a site called We Are Not Afraid. And the great British public, I'm assuming this is a British person that put yeah, the parody site up, <laughs> said, well, that's a lovely, worthy cause. I'm going to do something called We're Shitting Ourselves. <laughs> it does sound very British. But yeah. it's great. Like, you know, back in the, the late 90s, early 2000s, I was part of um, a thing called B3TA. Most people mm. call it Beta. And it was yeah. just loads of us creating silly animations and oh, wow. Photoshop. It's still going, by the way. Yeah, we yeah, are, exactly. we are going to have yeah. to talk so much more, Alfie. <laughs> <laughs> Weeble and Bob and John T and Joel and yeah. you know, all of that kind of fundamental British yeah. aesthetic. Like that Craziness. was the aesthetic that informed the beginnings of the internet, I think, for a lot of us, right? And it's mm. still there. It's still there. I mean, we love the moon, right? Because it's close to us. Mm. <laughs> love that. Love that. <laughs> Alfie, could I just very quickly ask before we'll ask a little bit more? So, you know, with your B3TA, beta, however you want, how do you pronounce it? It's beta. It's beta. Okay, right. So I've been calling it B3TA all these years. But then again, I don't say it out, <laughs> I don't say it out loud that often because it's I don't loud. have it as a, as a conversation with people. It's loud. Mm. <laughs> but Alfie, so tell me, you're, when you're, so you've been doing this for decades almost now, I guess, this, this yeah. socially responsible. Does this feel like work or fun? No, no, it doesn't feel really like work. And I definitely have fun. Mm. I mean, I think the thing about, so I also work, you know, professionally within product, right? So head of product roles or product development and mm. product management, product consultancy and strategy. So that's really how I pay the bills, right? Like these okay. projects don't really earn any money. But this is perfect. Right, yeah. So, so that, so the ones where you are um, a, uh, being paid by a client is one experience, and then there's the others that you're doing. Is there a different experience for you personally as you're working on these things, or do you? Is it just your innate uh, approach to life that you bring to all of these projects? Well, you I. Yeah, there's, there's certainly a bit of a balancing act, like the amount of passion you can bring to a project that you have originated for the purpose of satisfying an internal desire to do it mm. is different from working on a brief that's going to sell more cornflakes, right? Like, yeah. they're, they're just different. So I approach them pretty differently, like consultancy work, I, I, I bring to bear a much more sort of rigorous and structured approach, which mm. Yeah. Let's be, you know, in the weeds and enjoy that process. Um, whilst at the same time, you know, there's something fascinating and interesting in everything. So hopefully I hopefully I managed to bring some of that to uh, commercial projects as well. Fantastic. Is that the mm. answer to, to, to find fascination in everything, to find something interesting in everything that you do? You, you know, know what? I think 
yeah, you're right. That is a good way of of thinking of it, like internally, because there's nothing intrinsically boring about anything, right? Even cornflakes, right? Mm. Like there's something that's going to be interesting to pursue, and probably rather than focus on how much you don't want to do it, finding the thing that's that's interesting is really useful, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and that's what that's what makes us human, isn't it? You know, finding finding the the interest in in perhaps the mundane things. We are Blender. You are welcome. That brings me on to people. Do, do people disappoint you? Do you, do you hate the rich? Uh, again, going back to the, the the origins of the game, perhaps. Oh no, no. I mean, I'm a I'm a I'm a super optimist. I love people. I thought you were going to say I'm super rich then. Super <laughs> rich. No, I think like I mean, look, it, all we have is people. Yeah. We don't, there's nothing else, right, as far as we're aware. And um, no, I think that um, when, the, the super wealthy live lives which are going to have intrinsic problems regardless. Like, no one's happy just because you've got money. And I don't think that if we're talking about people like, um, you know, let's, let's just say Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, etc. Mm. Like, none of them have got um, aims or ambitions which when they look at the consequences that they see to be antithetical to a good result for humanity. Right? None of these people are out to do things in some way that's tyrannical or psychopathic. I mean, mm. obviously there's some psycho psychopathy at work, but <laughs> they're much more like government strategists who are looking at if we do this thing, how many people are impacted and what is our appetite for collateral damage? Like, rich people aren't evil they're just looking at things in a different way like, i mean mm. rich people that's the wrong framing but pe people who run massive technology corporations <laughs> mm. um you know they they are they have to look at the world in a different way than the rest of us mm. so should we be scared of them there's a lot of uh, paranoia particularly developed during the coronavirus you know a lot of conspiracy theories a lot of paranoia Bill Gates is trying to put chips in us all and all that kind of nonsense if I'm allowed to say that but um, should should we be fearful of them or should we embrace them well, we should be we should be really um, worried about the fact that we systemically failed to actually look at the root causes of problems nor address them like mm. you know when you mentioned conspiracy this is not a fault of the of the human mind. It's a function of the human mind. Like finding patterns and things in order to create connections where there is a lack of information is the only reason that we yeah. are able to create in the first place. Um, and so we have this capacity, but because people have faulty processes or they're able to accept things as evidence when they're not, is mm. broadly it's a lack of education secondly it's a complete failing of the fourth estate because it's been corrupted mm -hmm. pretty much arguably since the advent of the 24-hour news cycle the news mm. has been actually as much a devastating force on culture and society as it has been good in that we get news right yeah but our problem i think socially and how we organize ourselves is what troubles and deeply worries me is more that we fail to look at the systemic failings and instead worry about what we see, right? We should be fixing things, not worried about yeah. what's around the corner. Mm. Well, I, I kind of hope the coronavirus will bring about a, a reset and, and create a more em empathetic business model, if you like. That simply doesn't seem to have happened. Everybody's racing back to the old ways, and, and that disappoints me, for sure. Mm. 
Well, if I if I can represent the great unwashed, those that are um, labouring without the information that they feel that they need and, and are frustrated and discombobulated, and if I represent them by saying, what do we do? What's the answer? Well, again, it's systemic. Like, the answer is not to give in to the human drive to accept the first person with authority that stands up and says, oh, I can do that for you. Instead, mm. like people who have got that level of frustration and worry about the state of their world, mm -hmm. um, when they see someone who stands up and says they can fix it, the education should have already been in place that would mean that they would go, no, you can't. There's no simple answers. Mm. And that's just yeah. it. Like we're, we're basically um, have not been well served by our governments. We haven't been well served by our institutions to build societies which are able to say uh oh, no sorry demagogue please sit down <laughs> like so yeah. i don't know i think it's the same answer for me i guess if there's just no simple answers we just have to struggle and, and iterate and work and build mm. i think that that is the case isn't it? it that it's people that have a simple answer that they feel can sum it all up in one which is often just them saying i want this conversation to stop versus it is complicated there is no simple answer and we need to talk for the rest of time those two things seem to me quite clear yeah you don't normally see bumper stickers saying honk if you love nuance right <laughs> <laughs> there's another t-shirt <laughs> i love it i think it's i think i think it's a robert downey jr quote hmm <laughs> what, uh, what 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 do you think your legacy might be, Alfie? You've obviously done a lot of amazing projects, and what would you like to be most remembered for? Oh, I don't have that thought in my mind. Uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I just hope that I don't ever uh, have to stop. Um, that's that's very it. sweet, Alfie. That's very sweet. But tell us this then: which of your which of your activities has had the most impact? Do you think objectively? Hey, we're not afraid. Like, you know, it's taken me a long time to come to terms with that project because, mm. because it's such an ambiguous statement. It meant a means that people can say it and use it to express whatever it means to them. And that mm. is a really dangerous thing, right? Like, mm. you can basically have, you know, militia using the phrase whilst holding their semi-automatic rifles. Mm. meaning that come and get us we're ready to kill you right mm. and on the wow. flip side yeah. of that we're not afraid can mean i will not allow your act of terror to reduce me like mm. so uh, it took me a long time to reconcile and come to terms with my own yeah lack of sureness about it but it was recently um acquired by the the, uh, the museum of london for a new permanent exhibition so oh, okay. I think that, that is fantastic. If, yeah. if there's like a legacy, then how that. Yeah. that project can be represented in people's memory if it helped them at the time. And I know that if it did, people like mm. Sarah Morgolis, whose whose husband was in uh, the King's Cross train, mm. I know that it helps people. So yeah, yeah probably that. That's beautiful. Absolutely it, it beautiful. Is. So will, will technology save the world or do you think it'll kill it? Hey, the, the jury's out. Like, I mean, mm. we don't know what's going to happen. But I think, you know, speaking as someone who's just generally uh, very interested in technology, and I do try and uh, read and stay up to date on on um, information and papers around AI. That, mm. At least for me, as as certainly a layperson, I'm I'm very optimistic that we're we're gonna we're gonna do it. I mean, 
I was listening to a really great podcast yesterday. It's the Lex Friedman podcast. He's an mm, okay. MIT, MIT professor, mostly working with robotics. And he was interviewing a woman whose name I forget. Who was, um, she's a physicist, but she, she's focused on trying to figure out a physics for life. And she came up with this wonderful idea that ultimately the universe is trying to evolve things which are good at creating things because that's mm. how it gets more stuff in it. Yeah. And yeah. I, I love that idea that, you know, <laughs> ultimately human beings are an expression of evolution where our creative force, our desire and ability to make new things is what the universe wants. And if that's the case, then I don't see any doom or gloom. Like, well, we'll, we'll figure it out in the end. That, mm. sounds, like, that sounds like caffeinated Buddhism. <laughs> it'll be that that bullet caffeine wouldn't it <laughs> yeah yak yak milk or something alfie just I, I my take on this is that the game is a terrific pop culture tool to poke at society in a gadfly kind of way to to get a reaction is is, is that right is that sound okay well, hopefully when, when people get to the end of the game, they might have some inkling that, oh, wow, that, I've never really thought about it before. Like, there mm. are just these billionaires who, who they can just be anything, really. Yeah. But yeah. the game itself, like, when you're playing it, there's, there's none of that. It's just really fun, like, over-the-top satire and, like, um, you know, it's just mm. energetic, really fun. Take that game with your friends, which you, you mentioned Monopoly and Black Mirror. Mm. Um, it's definitely like an entry-level game. It's a gateway game. You can mm. really learn it if you're not a board gamer. But if you are a board gamer, then there's lots of complexity for you to uncover. So Fantastic. yeah, it's a romp. It's a romp, yeah. I hope. So just to conclude our fantastic chat today, uh, tell us how people can get hold of the game and we'll include a link with the podcast notes as well. Well, thank you. Well, uh, you, can, you can take a look at the game and buy it if you'd like at evilcorpgame.com. I'll make a 10% discount code for your listeners as well. That is terrific, Alfie. And can I just tell that all the listeners that is entirely spontaneous and me jumping in like this makes it sound like it isn't, <laughs> but it is entirely spontaneous. Yeah, and I get to choose what that is, and we'll just call it Blender 10, shall we? Mm. Fantastic. Lovely. There we go. Uh, we are going to get hold of a copy of the game as well. Uh, going to offer it as a competition prize in some social platform. Uh, but that's all right, is it, Alfie? Absolutely. I can't wait for, for someone to get it and then, you know, write a review and, and obviously tell them. Mm, fantastic stuff. Thank you, Alfie, for joining yeah. us today. What I was going to say was, please do come back. We've touched on a number of things that I'd really like to talk to you about in more detail. So, Absolutely. Alfie, pl Alfie, please accept an open invitation to come back at any time. We'd like to have you back uh, on, on many occasions. There's so much more we could talk about. And I, I bet with my next game being about conspiracy theories, we might have... Uh, oh, <laughs> we, we absolutely need to be in that from the beginning. I, I want to talk to you in a future podcast about Hollywood. I want to talk about Indecent Proposal, Highlander and Mad Max 3 Beyond Thunderdome and how we can make billionaires toe the line using those movies. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and it'll basically be Jeff Bezos to the Thunderdome. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we have to. Tina Turner must be the host of the hey, show. He's still it around. Really, he's still I around, know. right? It's amazing. As Swiss citizen, I believe. Is that right? That's a conspiracy theory. Is that a conspiracy yeah, no. theory? <laughs> no trick to it. Alfie, fantastic. Thank you very much indeed for today. It's been terrific. You too. Thank you, guys. It was great. Brilliant. Thanks, Alfie. Have a great day. We are Blender. You are welcome.
let's now take a look at the wisdom of Reddit, because Reddit is the future. Reddit is us. Reddit is the combined knowledge of the world, good and bad, daft and less daft. So this week, let's see what's bothering the hive mind. Things including making the bed is a pointless chore. Reddit claims that making the bed is a pointless chore. Do we agree with that? Uh, I think absolutely not. And I was immediately reminded when I read this of a thing I saw some years ago, which, of course, I rushed off from Google, which was uh, a short film called Make Your Bed featuring U.S. Navy Admiral William H. McRaven. Great okay. name. Yeah. Uh, I think it went viral four or five years ago. And he basically says in that film, which we'll link to in the podcast notes, but he basically yeah, yeah. says, if you can't do the little things right, you won't be able to tackle the bigger things. Making your bed is a good, satisfying, small win way to start the day. And I think that's what a lot of people said on the Reddit thread as well. Unpopular opinions is actually becoming more like popular opinions. Everybody <laughs> seems to agree with them. It's the um, blurring area of Reddit. Absolutely. Yeah, but my, um, my, my girlfriend, George, insists on a hotel level bed making ceremony every day. So we're quite the opposite. The rule is whoever gets up last makes it. She works for a foreign company, so she's up very, very early every morning. Uh, so it's invariably me that's left to make the bed. And at some point later in the day, she'll wander into the bedroom and pass judgment on my bed making ability, just like Admiral McRaven's training sergeant did during his training. And quite frankly, it's terrifying. <laughs> you have your own Admiral McRaven there to discipline you. <laughs> and George, how often do you change your sheets? Bit of a personal question there. <laughs> what? You're absolutely right. And I'm going to withhold that information and you t until you <laughs> tell me whether or not I'm the scruffiest man alive or, or Mr. Average. Please carry well, on. Well, again, I, I looked into this. There's an organization called the Sleep Foundation, which recommends once a week, but more often if you have pets or allergies. So if you sleep with your dog or your cats or anything, or you've and got hay fever, then. Yeah, and you're <laughs> allergic to them, then yeah. nightmare. But then, of course, me being me, I looked into it a little bit more. And okay. apparently leaving your bedsheets unchanged for long periods of time can actually lead to a whole host of health problems, oh. including infected wounds and athlete's foot. And this, this, you know, I love this. A study discovered the average adult will lose a staggering 295 millilitres of fluid a night. That's, uh, I think that's over half a pint. That's half a pint, yes, yeah. exactly. And, and shed nearly half a kilo of dead skin per year while they're asleep. So, uh. so wash your fucking sheets. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did a bit of a working out then, and I worked out that if I continue to not change my bed clothes for 150 years, <laughs> then... I will have created a second me. <laughs> I worked out that if I was to average 12 stone over my life, that if I was shedding um, half a kilo every year, that it would only take 150 years for me to create a second me laid beside me in bed. So oh. that, that's, my, that's my aim in life now is to never change the sheets for 150 years in, right. in order to generate a second me. That's a sexy thought. <laughs> so... As it goes, I think that we should be making the bed in the morning. I do think we should be changing it because we don't want to die in bed. There's so many <laughs> better things to be doing in bed and we should be living life out of bed. So, yeah, hmm. I think we can agree that making the bed in the morning uh, is something that we should be doing. And um, I, do agree, I do agree with a psychological tip that, you know, it's a small win to start your day. If you've made your bed nice, then you've set yourself up to have a good day. And it's a tiny achievement, but it's a good achievement. You know, exactly. it's up there, up there with cleaning your teeth. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It make your bed and don't lie about it. Just make it. Yes. The other thing bothering Reddit this week is shaming or mocking young people for not knowing a popular older song, movie, piece of technology is lame. That is lame if you shame younger people. Is that the case? I think it is lame because uh, apart from the fact it works both ways in that young people shame older people for not knowing the current terminology and what what what, what emojis yeah what what emojis and hashtags to use and things like that but I, I'm a great believer that just because you're younger than me that doesn't make you stupid or you or makes your opinions any less valid and and we do expect young people to be tech savvy don't we but you know, by by virtue of being younger, and old mm. people, old people are terrible. They simply refuse to learn new things. Like mm. my mum still uses a VCR to play ancient VHS tapes. It does my head in. You know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And anyone shaming anyone for not knowing something surely has a superiority complex, I reckon, which is a bad thing. You know? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, I often think that we need to think about how. These things that feel like they've been around forever are actually quite short-lived trends. Uh, I took a quick look at the history of the VCR because I, I realised that VCRs were going to pop up um, <laughs> in this conversation. And I think if we can take 19, 1972 or the very early 70s is when video cassette recorders were first out there for the masses. It took a few more years before they were in uh, mm. every single home. But let's say the early 70s. And let's say the year 2000 is the year that the DVD really um, took off. Um, mm. We're talking there about less than 30 years. Yeah. 30 years in which the whole programming of VCR as a badge of technology honor became a cliche. And yet here we are just a couple of decades later where the idea of programming a VCR is, is a meaningless task isn't it i mean who who, yeah. who these days uses recording a vcr as a technology show a show of um, prowess uh, <laughs> in anything other than a joke yeah. so so yeah, yeah. absolutely I, I also think then that uh, people uh, shaming younger people shaming anybody that doesn't know what you know uh, isn't a good thing isn't a hmm. good thing so there we go Reddit says that make your bed and don't shame young people. So I've got one for each this week. Let's see where, where we're going to go with the third one. And Reddit is telling us that, well, the Reddit user in question is telling us, I eat French fries with a fork and nobody's going to stop me. I like that this guy feels threatened that people are going to stop him <laughs> from eating with a fork for a start. Yeah. Snatch it out of his clammy little yeah. hand. <laughs> yeah, you will take my fork out of my cold, dead hand. Yeah. But, so eating fries with a fork, what do we think? Well, I think there's a there's a. Why degree... am I even asking this question? Eating fries with a fork. What do we think? What a ridiculous question! Please give me a, a ridiculous answer. <laughs> well, I think there's degrees of fry eating that require different etiquette. But uh -huh. like your your classic skinny McDonald's French fries demand fingers. That's all yeah. part of the fun of it. But yeah. British chips, those those fat greasy ones, as in fish and chips, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they're better or easier to eat with a fork, even with one of those stupid tiny wooden forks that you only ever find in chip shops. Uh -huh. Love those. <laughs> I, I always steal six of those because they, they. I always think they're going to come in handy sometime, and they, they, they never do. Yeah. Propping your eyelids open, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I agree entirely that a British chip um, is uh, it, it warrants a fork. But please carry on. 
Well, I've mentioned before, I hate ketchup. And if you've got ketchup on your fries and you're not using a fork, <laughs> then you're going to get it all over your fingers and vinegar and salt and everything. It's just disgusting. So there, there are certain times when, yeah, use a fork. And, and I discovered there's a weird subset of humanity, in my humble opinion, who insists dipping fries in milkshake is a right and proper that. thing to do. Yeah. Um, and that reminded me of a cafe called E20, which launched a milkshake at a food, recent food festival in London. Um, it was made from vanilla ice cream, chocolate yep. syrup, yep. cream, all good so far. But then they yep. added a dash of salt and potatoes, which is uh-huh. beginning to make me feel a bit weird. And get this, chocolate-coated French fries in the top. So, so salted caramel, salted potatoes. Mm. Well, my outtake on this is that, okay, you are um, physically repulsed by tomato ketchup, um, but (laughs) I feel that chips aren't chips unless they've got cheese on them. I think cheese chips um, are are the the ultimate and... um, (laughs) And, and I guess I, I, I've I've grabbed handfuls of cheesy chips in the past without using a fork. Um, absolutely, but a fork would be better with cheesy chips. And as cheesy mm. chips are the ultimate, I think eating fries with a fork, um, cheesy otherwise, is is the way forward. But I also so, think this this guy is trying to shame the non-fork using community as well. Which, uh, judging by the the last unpopular opinion, we're not into shaming people. So. If you want to eat with a fork, go for it. If you don't, who cares? <laughs> there we go. We do a call, a call back to the young people shaming as well. I like mm. it. Can we get a call back to the bed making? Yeah. Well, don't eat chips in bed. Never eat chips in bed. <laughs> Never eat chips in bed. Fantastic. Although, of course, you can keep the salt in your belly button. <laughs> I love it. And that is the wisdom of Reddit that for this week. And such that, wisdom. Such wisdom. Absolutely. We are Blender. You are welcome. And with that, let's move over to Icy MiFi. Icy MiFi. Icy MiFi. Will, Icy MiFi, in case you missed it for your information. Thanks for uh, clarifying the acronym. Is it an acronym? Uh, Yes. Icy MiFi. Oh, no. Hang on. Is it an acronym when you're pronouncing it? Uh, uh no you're right yeah uh, when it when to... it makes a word in its own right it's called something else uh, send us your answers on a postcard because we're not going to research it in the next 20 minutes <laughs> <laughs> can't be bothered who cares no. i see my fi i see my uh, so this week's i see my fi uh a, a recent uk centric survey conducted by glassdoor and telegraph money looked into the jobs that provide most satisfaction mm-hmm. and the top 10 interestingly enough features a lot of tech jobs the most satisfying job, according to those surveyed, is apparently being a solutions engineer. And that's a job that involves finding software solutions for companies. What's perhaps more interesting is that the survey also showed we all want more flexibility at work. And there's a growing movement towards a four-day week. I'm a, I'm a great proponent of that. I've long been a proponent of Poets Day, which stands for Piss Off Early Tomorrow's Saturday. Great day. <laughs> it's a great day. There should be more greetings cards for Poets mm. Day, I think. I'm sure you're dying to know, but the highest paid role among the top 10. Is What's the of... highest paid role? Paid role. What's the highest paid role in the top 10? Oh, thank you for asking, George. It's oh, that okay. of technology manager with an average salary of £92,500 a year. While the survey says we're now more inclined to focus on job satisfaction than salary, those telephone number salary figures are not to be sniffed at, right? I mean, I would appreciate a salary of that much. So I still think job satisfaction is enhanced by fat stacks of money 
who who would have thought that money motivates who would have thought that money Mm. was a metric that people would track who would have thought i i find it perfectly natural that the coolest most popular jobs are in technology Mm, Uh, of course i think think that's absolutely just a given and i think that there is a, a great many people that should be embracing the positivity of technology whilst always being aware of the fact that technology is a very sharp knife and can be used for ill as well as for good. Mm, Um, But yeah, I I totally understand why technology jobs and the AI wranglers of the future are going to be earning millions in order to keep them um, in their place. Um, (laughs) So yeah, but I do believe that you've got some more research here that is going to shed some more light on, on what people want to do during the week. Indeed, of course. And what I want to do, other than working as little as possible, of course, is sleeping. (laughs) Moving on from earnings envy to heartbreaking news from Michigan State University, which says a nap during the day doesn't actually do much to restore a sleepless night, which is, I think, a terrible shame. Uh, I was so shocked by that, my voice just went up two octaves. The new study appears in Sleep Magazine, a title which surely helps with insomnia. Yeah. It's among the first to measure the effectiveness of shorter naps, which are often all people have time to fit into their busy schedules. Mm-hmm. You're probably asleep now, George, aren't you? Absolutely not. I, I'm completely <laughs> awake and with you. The problem is with naps that they don't provide SWS, which stands for shortwave sleep, which is apparently the deepest, most restorative and most important stage of sleep. So sleep deprivation is not really cured by naps. You need to get into more than, I think, a couple of hours sleep before the SWS kicks in. Uh, My thoughts on it, of course, are that we should all sleep more, work a four-day week, and get high with dolphins at the weekend. Love it. Okay, so dolphins, we've foreshadowed the dolphins in the next bit, of course, but I do want to talk, before we move to the dolphins, I do want to talk about sleep. And you're right. Um, you know, it is a case of where do you find the time in the week to sleep? And if we can't catch up with naps, then we, we have to do something a little bit more fundamental. And this is another great opportunity for us to decimalize the week. Ten days in the week, ten days mm. in the week, five days on, five days off sleeping. Yeah, um, that's interesting. Im- well, imagine the boost to industry, all those beds that need changing. Um, or or the health industry Mm. that's going to um, come up around the uh, horrible diseases that are going to come up the the rampant athlete's foot from uh, (laughs) half the population sleeping for five days whilst the other five the other 50 percent work so but dolphins getting high please we need to hear more about that well exactly and why not i hear nobody ask (laughs) the actual news is about teenagers causing physical harm while chasing a high what makes that news i hear you cry well these teenagers what makes that news (laughs) well these teenagers are adolescent dolphins and the victims of the harm are puffer fish that get chewed by drug crazed dolphins for their neurotoxins okay this substance the neurotoxin can kill humans but takes dolphins to their happy place okay Adolescent dolphins have discovered if they bump puffer fish with their snouts, the fish get angry, inflate, and release enough of the toxins to give the dolphins a buzz. Wow. The blissed-out dolphins even take turns to pass the poor puffer fish around. (laughs) Which I think is... I'm not sure if it's terrible or a bit of a laugh, but... If you're the puffer fish, it's terrible. If you are a puffer fish in this situation, this is terrible. I Uh, do feel bad for them, but... Meanwhile, we humans like to feel invincible, which is why pufferfish are considered a death-defying delicacy. Absolutely. 
when people choose to eat a puffer fish, it has to be laboriously prepared in order not to kill its diners. And chefs must have spent four to six years training to prepare the dish. Wow. The chance of illness from eating a puffer fish is so high that it's banned in most countries. You might want to head to Japan, where people still chow down on the fish like Americans eat burgers. <laughs> I'm exaggerating, of course, but it's fairly rare and expensive even in Japan. But even so, it's estimated that each year in Japan, there are between 20 and 40 cases of poisoning, courtesy wow. of pufferfish. Symptoms include dizziness, exhaustion, headache, nausea, difficulty breathing, and even death. That's how I normally feel when I've walked up a flight of stairs. Yeah, yeah it did sound familiar. Absolutely, yes. I am aware of pufferfish. Uh, I believe it's the liver that mm, uh, that they yeah. that they prepare yes and that, uh, that it does have this uh, this very glamorous industry around it of people defying death in order to have their puffer fish uh, liver sashimi mm, um, yeah. a cheese sandwich and russian roulette um <laughs> does that have the same sex appeal do we think you know if no, you have a cheese sandwich and have a one in six chance of blowing your brains out you know there's just there's clearly something that's that's uh, attracted to, to mm. this way of defying death rather than anything else well it seems a lot of the people that have died have been quite desperate and they are mostly people who have prepared it at home some some fishermen died of eating the skin some others died of eating the ovaries which i can't imagine is really worth the effort or or would taste very good and uh, some other people obviously have just died from eating random parts yep. of the puffer fish that you're clearly not meant to eat the easy solution, of course, would be not to eat Don't it. Don't eat the puffer fish in the first place, or have a bag of quavers and cross a motorway for the <laughs> similar amount of danger and food. So, sounds yeah. like sounds like an obscure club. <laughs> I love it. Quaver so, Motorway Society. <laughs> so that's icy my five for this week, and there we go. That's a wrap for today. My name's George Hopkin, and these days I would indeed prefer cheesy chips to puffer fish liver. Uh, you can find my info at georgehopkin.com or get me right now at george at specialnoise.com. Will, how about you? Yeah, thanks for joining us today, everybody. If you fancy telling me some interesting facts, a joke, or having a friendly argument, come at me on will at specialnoise.com or you'll find me scowling at brands like Travelodge over on Twitter at Ranking Rants. I'm off to play Evil Corp now. Fantastic. We'll share links in the show notes for all of these, and we look forward to um, welcoming you to the next Blender podcast as soon as we've got it done. Thank you all. 